Hi, I'm Mike. I'm Carissa. And this is our story. So about five years ago, uh, we uh, split up. Uh, I had started a different relationship. and uh, Unbeknownst to me. Of course. I realized with my uh, extramarital relationship, because my marital relationship was over, and I realized this relationship is doomed from the start. And I, and I ended it, or I had pretty much given up on my way of doing anything with my life. I'd asked God to step in, and I really had f that feeling that he did. Uh, this church was my safety net, and he started attending. You can see how thrilled I, I was about I, that. I'm like, oh, let's go to my church now, and you're all holy. And I do remember that conversation. I was so mad. But I really started to feel immense guilt, and I felt that I was actually the one that was primarily responsible for the, the breakup of our marriage. And I just kept getting this thought in my head that I could not shake that said, go, go tell Carissa you love her. Hey, he burst into my apartment and- I knocked first. I don't know, I really don't know. <laughs> burst into my apartment and, and comes to tell me that he loves me and that we're supposed to get back together and that he and God are back together I, I don't know I was asleep and I just basically told you to get out and I think that you had found some in your little god hunt you found some uh, paperwork or this document it's like oh you must read this and I'm like you're out of your mind and the gentleman that I had started dating he had gone to my apartment picked up my house and had folded my laundry which are the two things that Mike despises of anything in this world is anything domestic and um, but in doing so unbeknown to him he had taken that booklet along with something else and set it right on top of my dresser God was just nudging in my heart Carissa read it God knew he spoke to my heart in such a way that something in that document connected with a project I was working on and it was so specific the verbiage so was so specific to me God, I was really really mad that um, I had gotten that far, and um, I, God's telling me to go back, and I can't. I can't do this. I felt like a two-year-old. <laughs> I was. I was so. I was trying to be defiant, just, you know, kicking and screaming. You can't make me go. You can't make me do it. And I knew He was calling me to be obedient. I had no idea how it was going to work out, but I just knew. Really, I feel like if, it, if God can fix us, He can fix anybody. He has healed that wound, and God took it, and He took it away. Um. From our relationship it was like a whole nother marriage and i'm glad that we can use our story to help other people learn from our mistakes and keep from getting there because this was painful this was painful <laughs> for us and um yeah we'd gladly take the hit for somebody to keep them from having to do that amen i love that video i just wish she would have been a little bit more honest and say exactly what she's thinking you know what i'm saying she's laid it out there i think it's so great to hear those kinds of stories you know we're in the second week of our series we're calling He Said, She Said, God Said. And, and in our series, we are discovering that men and women are different, and that's okay. Um, uh, that's how God created us. He created us to be different. One of the things I'm enjoying about this series is, is finding uh, unique little ways that we're different. I mean, even the simplest things of life, uh, men and women are different. How we approach things and view things. Uh, for example, I discovered this one. Even how we take a shower is different. Look at this one. How, does, how to shower like a woman. Look at this. Take off clothing, place it in section laundry hamper according to lights and darks. Walk to bathroom wearing long dressing gown. If you see your husband along the way, cover up any exposed areas. Look at your womanly physique in the mirror. 
Make mental note to do more sit-ups, leg lifts, etc. Get in shower. Use faith cloth, arm cloth, leg cloth, long loofah, wide loofah, and punish stone. Wash your hair once with cucumber and sage shampoo with 43 added vitamins. Condition your hair with grapefruit mint conditioner. Uh, wash your face with crushed apricot facial scrub for 10 minutes until red. Wash the entire rest of the body with ginger nut and Jaffa cake body wash. Rinse conditioner off hair, shave armpits and legs, turn off shower, squeegee off all wet surfaces in shower, spray mold with Tylex, get out of shower, dry with towel the size of a small country, uh, wrap hair in a super absorbent towel, return to bedroom wearing long dressing gown and towel on head if you see your husband along the way cover up any exposed areas. How to shower like a man. Take off clothes while sitting on the edge of the bed and leave them in a pile. Walk naked to the bathroom. If you see your wife along the way, flash her while making the woo-woo sound. Look at your manly physique in the mirror and smile. Get in the shower, wash your face, wash your armpits, blow your nose in your hands and let the water rinse them off. Wash your hair, make a shampoo mohawk, pee. Rinse off and get out of shower, partially dry off, fail to notice water on the floor because curtain was hanging out of the tub the whole time. Admire physique in the mirror again and smile. Leave shower curtain open, wet mat on the floor, light and fan on. Return to bedroom with towel around waist. If you pass your wife, pull off towel, flash her and make the woo sound again. Throw wet towel on bed. Where is Somebody is really enjoying that over there. We are as different as night and day. But that doesn't mean that our relationships can't flourish. So that's what we're talking about. Now, we began the series last week by talking about the fact how Jesus set the example uh, for how we should treat one another when it comes to our relationships. And if you were here, we remember we went back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we saw that when Jesus was on this earth, uh, he was mistreated, he was beaten, uh, he was mocked, he was nailed to a cross, yet he never, ever retaliated. In other words, when he was verbally abused, he didn't verbally abuse in return. Uh, he didn't take it upon himself to even the score. Uh, he, he didn't approach relationships from the perspective, you give a little and I'll give a little. Uh, the example that Jesus set for us as it comes to our relationships was, you know, this is a Savior, right, who took life right in the face without responding in like kind. And Peter says, that's your model. That's your example. That's your example. And, and being this example, Jesus basically took away all excuses that we might be able to come up with when it comes to how we deal with our relationships. And then in that context, we notice in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, this is what Peter wrote. You husbands in the same way. In other words, following the example that Jesus has already set, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, last week we learned that as men, that basically means that God has called us to be the pace setter in the home. And part of setting the pace in our home is seeking and working really, really hard to understand our wives, to try to see life from her perspective. It's not our job to change the way she feels. It's our job as a husband setting the pace to understand why she feels the way she feels so we can connect and we can understand her. And it's interesting, someone said that uh, they sat through the message the first time last week and were totally shut down uh, because they were actually kind of mad at their wife while they were here. And then they went and they listened to it again the next day and, and they came to this conclusion, I'm gonna do this, I am going to seek and work really, really hard at understanding my wife, but it will require me to quit my job because I will not have time to do both. You know, so man, you got to do what you got to do. Now, uh, in this same verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, 
Peter gives us a second command that we're to keep in mind as men as we're setting the pace. Notice what he says, 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayer may not be hindered. Now, without being too technical, let me try to explain what Peter's talking about. Uh, first of all, this word translated grant. It's never used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's the only place that this word is used. So this, this phrase, grant her honor, it is very, very unique. And it's unique because whenever a word or a phrase is used only one time in the Bible, what that tells us is that the writer is trying to make a very, very unique, a very, very specific point. And so Peter, when he decides to write this, he goes outside of his normal vocabulary. Uh, he could have said, give her honor. All the words that he could have used, and he chose this special word. And the word he uses, this word grant, it, it, it's a word that was used in the first century in extra biblical literature for assigning someone a special honor or a special status. Not because of something they'd done, not because of something they had achieved, but because of who they are. This is the honor you would give maybe to a king. This is the honor that you would automatically give to a president. You would honor them. But you know, I really saw an example of this recently. Uh, many of you know we partner with an African-American church in, in, in Southeast Raleigh, Ship of Zion, and Chris and Jackie Jones, the pastor there, doing a phenomenal job in that community. And uh, I always love to go down there and visit because it is so culturally different than what we experience here. I mean, you walk in, the first thing you notice are there are bullet holes all over the front of the building, and, and you can just tell us a little bit of a war zone down there. And we had a meeting and after the meeting, we decided to take a walk down Bragg Street. Now, Bragg Street is probably one of the most crime-filled, violent streets in the entire area. It's full of uh, uh, people that are having drug issues. Uh, it's full of prostitutes. The gangs literally run those areas. But while I'm walking down uh, Bragg Street with Chris and Jackie, I feel totally safe. Now, look at me. I'm standing out. You know what I'm saying? I'm standing out. But as I'm walking down the street with them, I feel totally safe because the people of that community, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the gangbangs, have bestowed on Chris and Jackie an esteemed position. In fact, they told us that often when the, when the gangs find out that the church is moving into a new neighborhood to start a ministry or to a new corner, they voluntarily say, hey, pastor, we're moving down the street. We won't be here when you get here. In fact, recently the church was burglarized and the gangs put a contract out on the guys who robbed the church because you don't mess with Chris and Jackie Jones. That's an esteemed honor, esteemed position. Not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. See, that's the idea here. And so understand when Peter comes along and says, to grant to our wives honor, he isn't saying, husbands, come on now, you got to be nicer to your wife. He's not saying that. He's not saying you've got to learn to treat your wife in a more courteous manner. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you've got to work, work a lot harder at being a gentleman and less of a redneck. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you've got to assign to your wife a special status. You've got to put her on a plateau, on a platform, because she holds a special rank in God's kingdom. She holds an esteemed position. In fact, he tells us what the esteemed position is in verse 7. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. I mean, let me just tell you what that means because it sounds very, very biblical and very religious. Let me tell you what it means. It means your wife, okay, your wife has relatives in high places. Understand that. Or if you don't get, let me put it in a more modern, you married the boss's wife. Think about it that way. I mean the boss's daughter, not the boss's wife. That'll get you fired. 
Some of you may have done that, by the way. I, this is Hope Community Church. Um, but it's this idea, your wife is recognized by God as a VIP. She holds an esteemed position. She's not just some woman. She's not just some person. She, she's someone who has a highly significant ranking in the kingdom of God. Understand, this is the context for how we treat and how we honor and how we love our wives. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I, when I finally figured out what this was saying, this was a little bit convicting to me. Because let's be honest, I think as Americans and in our culture, we have a tendency to honor people or bestow honor on people that we determine deserve honor. For example, we may give honor to someone who holds a special status. Or maybe we'll give honor to someone who is wealthy. Or maybe we'll give honor to a person based on their performance. For example, if we think that someone is as smart as we are, we'll decide to treat that person with honor. But let's be honest. If we meet somebody and we think they're kind of dumb, we may decide that we're going to treat this person with less respect. In fact, there are times when we honor and respect people if we're trying to gain their approval, if we're trying to get something in return. I think we call it kissing up, but every one of us, we, we all do this. I mean, think about this, man. Just think back to when you first started dating your wife. You held every door. You paid for every meal. You didn't talk about crude things. You could even control your bodily functions. Do you remember those days, guys? When we were dating, we worked overtime to demonstrate honor and respect to our wives when we first met them. Why did we do that? We were trying to gain their approval. That's not what Peter's talking about. This context for honoring and respecting our wives isn't based on their performance. It's not based on their behavior. It's not based on their intelligence. It's not based on their, uh, uh, or their achievements. It's not based on her character. It's not based on how good of a wife she is. It's not based on how she treats you. Does she treat you like she loves you? It's not based on any of those things. Peter, once again, as he's writing this, he pulls us back into this much broader, this much larger context. And he says, men, understand, you are to recognize that your wife holds an esteemed status. She has a rank. And you're to honor her and you're to respect her, not based on her actions, not based on her behavior, you're to honor and respect her based on her esteemed position, even if there are areas where you are smarter, even if sometimes she says things that don't make sense, even if she embarrasses you at times, even at times if she acts like a woman, you know what I'm saying? Peter says, regardless of all that, regardless of all that, regardless of what you think, regardless of what she does, she has an esteemed position and you are to grant her honor because of that position period. In fact, verse 7 goes on to say, grant her honor as a fellow heir. And, and the key word there is, is fellow. That means we're equals. And that's a little bit confusing because last week, remember Peter said that, that, that women were weaker. But now he says in the, in the latter part of the verse that they are equals. And you hear it and it's like, well, Peter, make up your mind. Are they weak or are they equals? What is it? So let me clarify. Women are weaker, but they're only weaker in this life. You see, in the next life, and I'm talking about eternity, understand we are all equal. Now, that's interesting. In fact, let me take it a step further. The Bible clearly teaches that when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on this earth, there will be ranks, okay? There are going to be ranks in, in, in eternity. There are going to be ranks in heaven. And some, it tells us, will rule over cities. 
because it's based on how they use their talents, how they use their gifts on this earth. See, some of you give, some of you serve, some of you give of yourself, you're going to have a higher rank in heaven. Some of you don't give, some of you don't serve, you're going to be polishing my shoes and cutting my grass. That's basically, that's basically what this says, okay? So there are going to be ranks in heaven, and then there are going to be others who serve those, who, who hold those higher ranks. So men, we need to be careful. We need to think about that. Because our wives may be weaker here, but they're going to be weak, uh, equal in heaven, and they might have a higher rank. And they might rule over you for all eternity. But let that just sink in a little bit as you're thinking through this message this weekend, okay? Verse 7. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You see the word grace there? What does it mean? What does grace mean? Well, grace is basically getting what we, what we don't deserve. Um, someone has used the acronym grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all the benefits of having a relationship with God, but it's not based on anything we've done. It's based on everything that Christ did. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Um, uh, Drew and Bryn, all of us know Drew and Bryn. Drew, Drew leads uh, worship at all of our campuses. Uh, Bryn, uh, she, she sings on the worship team at all of our campuses. They were married uh, Friday night at 6 o'clock. And uh, they decided to hold their honeymoon off to Monday so that they could lead worship at all of the services at the Raleigh campus this weekend. Now, there's a very important lesson here, and it's not commitment. It's like I would find out, if you're not married, I would find out who did their premarital counseling and go to somebody else. I'm telling you right now, because when, when you get married, you ought to go on a honeymoon, not stay and lead worship at a church. But anyway, I was at their wedding on Friday night, and we sang a song together. And as we were singing this song, it, this hit me. This is grace. This is the song we sang. You'll recognize it. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? You see, that's grace. That's us getting what we don't deserve. But do you know what the opposite of grace is? It's self-righteousness. See, self-righteousness is getting what we think we deserve. Self-righteousness is getting what we think we're owed or maybe what we think we've earned. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying when we don't honor our wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life, when we don't think of them as equals, it basically boils down to the problem. Since we're not extending grace, it boils down to the problem of self-righteousness. Let me give you an example. Let's say that Laura's not as smart as I am. Now right away we know that's hypothetical. I'm honest, I didn't just marry up, I married in the stratosphere up. I mean, there is not one area, and God is my witness, I'm not just trying to be humble, there's not one area in my life where Laura's not smarter. I know that. But let's just pretend for the fun of it, because I get to pretend every once in a while. Let's pretend that Laura's not as smart as I am, okay? And let's say that we're at a party, and maybe there's something going on in culture, and Laura's talking about it, and I interrupt her and I say, honey, everybody already knows that. Or she's talking about something she's passionate about, and I say, honey, you know, you, you don't have your facts right. You're telling this all wrong. Do you know what I'm saying without actually saying it? I'm saying, honey, you don't deserve honor, and you don't deserve respect because you don't know what you're talking about. 
And I deserve honor and I deserve respect because I do. Now, do you know what that is? That's what the Bible refers to as self-righteousness. See, I don't deserve anything. What I deserve is hell and not when I die, like right now. And don't look so smug because we all deserve that too, right? We all deserve hell. Anything good in our life beyond what Jesus Christ has done for us is just grace. So Peter wants us to understand for us as men to be dishonoring and to be disrespectful to our wives because we think we're smarter or because maybe we have more degrees or because we know something or because we've had the opportunity to experience something that our wife hasn't had the opportunity to experience. Understand, he says, it is all self-righteousness. It's an attitude that says, you owe me honor and you owe me respect because of what I've done, because of what I've accomplished, because of what I know. Peter says that is self-righteousness, and he goes on to say in verse 7, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And understand, when, when Peter gives, it's like he's saying, men, and he's smacking us right upside the face. He says, remember when you're belittling to your wife. Remember when you're condescending to your wife. Remember when you're talking down to your wife and you're being a jerk to your wife because you don't think she's as smart. You don't think she's as clever. You don't think she's as educated. You don't think she's as world-traveled. He says, you better remember, men, it is all about grace. I mean, think about this. If you took away all the things that we've ever been taught, and if you took away everything that we've been given, what would we be left with? We would be left with nothing. Peter says it's all grace. And that means that there is never, ever room for us to be dishonoring or to be disrespectful to our wives. Because we are fellow heirs of grace. We've all received something that we don't deserve. We are on level ground. And just because you're smarter and just because you've had some unique experience, it doesn't matter it's just grace so you got to understand something this context for respecting and honoring your wife it isn't her performance it isn't her intelligence it's not your experience versus her experiences it's not your spirituality it's not your knowledge of the bible it's not the fact that you might be a better husband than she is a wife it's not any of that stuff Peter says, you respect and you honor her because of who she is as a child of God. And she holds an esteemed position. By the way, and he talks about it later on in the chapter. We don't have time to look at it. Let me ask you a question. What would happen? I mean, what would our church, what would our campuses look like if we all started treating each other this way? I mean, I know I may know a little bit more of the Bible than you do, but big deal, I went to seminary. That's just grace. That's just a gift of God. That's just something God allowed me to do. That's nothing that I can be proud of, especially if you see my grades, you know. And you may be smarter than I'll ever be in the area of business. But you know what? That's just grace. Because God gave you opportunities I, I never had. It's all grace. Some of you ladies, let me just talk to you for a second. Some of you ladies, you've been to BSF. You've been going to Vine Life and Seeds. I mean, you've been to every women's Bible study on the planet for years. Meanwhile, while you're going to Bible studies all week, your husband's been putting in 40, 50, 60 hours trying to make a living. So, of course, you have more Bible knowledge than he does, right? And so you get together to pray and, you know, 
because you've been in Bible study your whole life. You quote all of Ephesians, most of Leviticus, half of Habakkuk, and about 16 Psalms. And then when you're finished praying, you say, honey, you want to pray? And he's so intimidated, he's like, no, honey, I think you pretty much covered. I think you pretty much covered it all, right? Why is he so intimidated? It's because you have so much knowledge. And that's good. That's awesome that you have so much knowledge. But that's just grace. I mean, you just had the opportunity. You had the privilege to attend all those studies he didn't get to attend. It's all grace. There are no exceptions. And that's what, Paul, that's what Peter wants us to understand. And then he gives us this warning in verse 7. And men, this is probably, if you were building up a wall, tear it back down for a second because you don't want to miss this part. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why, why do we need to do that, man? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So understand, this isn't just talking about being a better husband. This isn't about just self-improvement as a husband. Peter wants us to understand this. He wants us to understand that how we treat our wives actually impacts our relationship with God. Let me say that again. How we treat our wives actually impacts our relationship with God. Do you know why? Because God isn't interested in self-righteous men. Some of the meanest men I know to their wives are some men who consider themselves to be so spiritual. But I watch and I observe and I see how condescending they are and how belittling they are, but yet they know the scriptures and they go to Bible studies and they've memorized God's word. Let me tell you something, that is not spirituality. That is self-righteousness. You see, when we refuse to treat our wives with respect and honor, See, that's not demonstrating grace. That's demonstrating self-righteousness. That's an attitude that says, I just know more than you. I'm better than you. You aren't meeting my expectations. You're not as good a wife as I am a husband, so you don't deserve my honor, and you don't deserve my respect. It's self-righteousness. And I got to tell you guys, when a self-righteous man comes to God, God isn't interested. And therefore, that man's relationship, maybe your relationship with God, it is going to suffer. So it's not enough to come out of a series like this and just decide that you're going to be nicer to your wife. It's not about being more of a gentleman. This is so much bigger than that. It's understanding that our wives hold this esteemed position, and that is the context for how we love them and treat them and honor them. And what's really interesting, as a result of either doing that or not doing that, our relationship with God is somehow affected and impacted. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a big deal to me. So I want to close this weekend by giving you men some homework uh, to help you with this honoring aspect of your relationship with your wife. Man, I'm going I'm to give you some things to do. Now, let me just say this. Uh, I know that when I, I tell men some things to do, I, I know what the wives are thinking. If he loves me, as soon as we get in the car, he's going to do what Mike told him to do. So you get in the car, you're so excited, and you get out of the parking lot, nothing. And you're driving home, nothing. And you finally pull up in the driveway and the garage door is going up, nothing. And you can't stand it any longer, women. So you blurt out, I guess you don't even listen to Mike, do you? Right? See, I know how you roll, women. 
I get you, okay? But let me tell you how your husband is thinking. This is what he's thinking. I can't do what Mike asked me to do right after church because then she's going to think the only reason I did it was because Mike said to. So he is in this box. He can't win, right? So I'm going to give him some things to do. And women, cut him a little slack, give him some time, let him ease into it, okay? I guess he'll follow through. Here's the first thing. Men, sometime when you're feeling really, really secure, okay? That's a key, okay? When you're feeling real secure, ask your wife this question. Honey, are there things I do that demonstrate respect to you? Just ask her that question. Honey, do you feel respected by me? Honey, uh, do you feel honored by the way I treat you? And see, the key word here is feel. And you won't even realize it, but you use that word feel, you've just made some serious brownie points. Women love that word. I mean, women get turned on, man, when you use the word feel. Just so go ahead and use it. I mean, it's because men get in touch with their emotions through sex, but women get in touch with sex through emotions and feelings. So no matter how you phrase the question, make sure you use the word feel. Honey, how, how do you feel about the way I treat you? Do you feel honored? Do you feel respected? And men, here's the deal. We have to ask this question because this is such a blind spot for many of us. I mean, we can dishonor and disrespect our wives and we don't even realize we're doing it. We don't even know it, right? But this is what happens. We, we, as, we, as we chip away at them, as we do things, as we say things, as we cut them down, as we dishonor, as we cut them down in front of the children, as we don't support them in front of the children, as we disrespect and this, this is what's happening to your wife. She's just kind of shutting down to you. And she wants to bounce back, but she, 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 she can't, even if she bounces back, she doesn't quite bounce back all the way, right? So she's shutting down. And she doesn't want to be this way, but this is how God has made her. And this is what some of you men, with your dishonor and disrespect, this is what you've done to your wives. You've closed them down. You've closed their spirit. So part of understanding is being aware of when we're disrespecting and dishonoring our wives. So we have to ask the questions, honey, do you feel honored by the way I treat you? Do you feel respected? Now this is something I will promise you. She will answer you. She will respond. And odds are, when she answers you, you're probably not going to like the answer. And your tendency is going to be to say, well, honey, that's just stupid. You shouldn't feel that way. But remember, you can't. Remember, your job isn't to change the way she feels. Your job is to understand why she feels the way she feels. So, man, I challenge you, whether you take a walk this week, whether you do it on the way home, find some time to say, honey, I'm just, and you know what? I, I went through this with Laura this week, and we haven't finished yet. I mean, we, it's going to take a, a few days, maybe weeks, for her to finish. But, but there were some things when she said it, I was like, oh, man, that is so obviously true. So when you're feeling really secure, ask the question. Here's the second one. This is some, uh, some advice I would give you. Don't be critical of your wife in her absence. Let me tell you why this is important. It's important because we don't just set the, the pace for our wives. We set the pace for our children. And when we're critical of our wife in her absence around our children, it gives our children permission to be critical in her presence. You see, kids are followers. And so they're thinking, Dad said it. It must be okay. So, man, let me just give you some advice here. If mom cooks the worst meal in the history of the world. 
if mom dresses the kids like clowns to go to school and they come to you griping and complaining about mom, the correct response is you will respect and you will honor your mom. But look at what she did. No, no, but remember who she is. That's the right response. You see the difference? It's not about what she did. It's about who she is, the position she holds in God's perspective, esteemed. Third, don't interrupt your wife in public. Because when you do, this is what it communicates. Honey, what you're saying isn't nearly as important as, about what, I'm, as what I'm about to say, right? And none of us would ever admit that's what we're trying to do. But when you interrupt your wife, that's what you're doing. And I'm, this is one of the big ones on Laura's list. I do this all the time because I love to talk. <laughs> this is my gift. It's what I do, you know. And if I'm not careful, I am a terrible interrupter. And you know what? Sometimes she'll be talking and I'll jump in and this is what I see. You know? We have to be careful about that. And, and I'm not thinking that what I have to say is more important. But that's what I'm communicating a bad habit that I'm working on. Here's the fourth one. Don't let your children talk to their mom in a tone of voice that would be unacceptable if they were talking to your best friend. Or you know how you're having somebody over, maybe the boss is coming over, or the kids are coming into work, and you tell them, be really, really careful because don't say anything, don't do this. Be really, don't let your children talk to their mom in a tone, a voice that would be unacceptable if they were talking to your boss. You see, the, the issue isn't whether or not she deserves honor. The issue isn't whether or not she deserves respect. She is to be highly esteemed. God has given her a high, special rank. This is what you think of your wife. She's God's girl. That's the way you have to see her. And it is our responsibility as men to make sure that she is treated the way God intended her to be treated because we set the pace. I go out of my way, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn here. And I, 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 I guess I'll attribute this to my parents. I don't know. I go out of my way. I can't afford for Laura to live like a queen. She works full time just like many of you ladies do. But I go out of my way to make her feel like a queen. If I can clean the house, I clean the house. I go home and do the laundry. I fold it. I put it away so she can walk in and not have to. I take her out to dinner as much as I can and as much as I can afford. It's only two of us. And, and I do that because I don't want her to have the burden of have to cook. We just recently were out of town, and I knew there were these little earrings we wanted, and we were going to go buy a jeweler where I'd gotten her ring years ago. And I, said, we're, I called her. I said, we're going to come by, and I want to get these earrings. I know she liked, and I want to go ahead and buy them. And when she wants to get, because we go by because Laura likes to get her rings cleaned. I know you ladies like to do that kind of stuff. And so I said, when she gives you her rings and stuff to get clean, put the little earrings in there when you give it back. And I just couldn't wait for her to open it and see the earrings. I, it's because they hold an esteem position. And I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's a flower. I don't care if it's a card. I don't, but somehow you've got to put them in that position, put them on that pedestal, and treat them the way God intended them to be treated. And they will follow you anywhere, and they will love you for life. Some of you men are struggling right now. I mean, you're thinking, but Mike, you don't know what she's done. You don't know how she acts. You don't know 
what she said, you don't know how she embarrasses me. That may be true. But Peter says, you have an example. You have an example. And just as Jesus suffered unjustly and never retaliated, there's your example. There's the standard. And understand, as men, we have been called to follow in his footsteps. Now, before we close, I want to say one more thing. I want to say something to us as a church because we have so many single moms here. And I know we have some single dads, but I checked this week, 92% of single parents are moms, okay? And we have a spiritual responsibility, I believe, to the moms that God brings into our church community. And, and I think that this responsibility is huge because after a single parent, whether it's a mom or a dad, goes through a divorce, we all know that if we've been through it or we've been close to those who've gone through it, there's a whole lot of disrespect and there's a whole lot of dishonor. And many, not all, but many of the single moms in our church, they have felt disrespected and dishonored for years. So much so that when they hear me on a weekend like this say, you are an esteemed child of God. They have a really, really hard time grasping that, accepting that. They have a really, really hard time believing that that's true of them. And it's because they've been told by people that they once trusted, that they once said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, to death do us. They, 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 they've been told by people like that, you're not worth respecting. You're not worth honoring. You're worth lying to. You're worth manipulating. You're worth taking advantage of. And any of us, if we're told that long enough, we're going to start to believe that. So I believe that God has called us as a church to be, to be his arm. I think he's called us to be his hands, his voice that says, you are a respectable person. And regardless of your performance, and regardless of your inconsistency, you are an honored person because you're a daughter of God and you have an eternal identity that no one can ever take away from you. You are esteemed. I think it's our job as a church to begin to build back into these incredible women a sense of self-respect and honor that gets snatched and taken away from them. And I know that you'll join me as we do that. So, man, two great gifts that we can, we can give the women in our lives, understanding and honor. Now, next week, we're going to shift, and I'm going to begin to talk to the ladies. And next week, uh, I'm going to talk to the men. The sermon title is, A Man's Got to Do What a Man's Got to Do. And we're going to talk about what God instilled and wired into us as men that makes us the way we are. And I'll show you from Scripture why it's there. And then the second week, we're going to talk about how to help your man do what a man's got to do. And i got to tell you, if you've never been married or you hope to be married one day or you're married right now, this is for every woman here. Because if you can understand how God made us and wired us, you'll understand why we think sometimes the way we think. And you'll be able to help us be the person God created you to be to help us be the men that God created us to be. So we're gonna, now ladies, don't get all cowards on me because you've been pumping high fives and sending me emails about this is the most incredible stuff. You, don't get all sissy on me and not show up next week because it's your turn, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you created these incredible relationships and it's been so marred by sin and the fall and society and culture. We don't even know who we are anymore. We don't even know what our role is supposed to be anymore. 
And Father, so many men here, I'm sure it never crossed their mind that they were supposed to set the pace. They were supposed to take the lead when it comes to honoring and respecting and understanding. Regardless of how it's reciprocated. Regardless of what comes in return. It doesn't matter. Because you set our example. And when you were verbally abused, you didn't verbally abuse. And when you were were beaten, you didn't retaliate. And it wasn't tit for tat. You didn't try to settle the score. So, Father, there's our example. And I just pray you would make us men of God. I think in all of our hearts, that's what we want. We we, want to do the right things. We want to make the right decisions. We, We want to lead. We want to set the pace. And so much of our society has told us how dumb we are and how stupid we are. Every sitcom, the the father is the biggest loser in the house. So, Father, we got to rise above all that. We got to be the men that you called us to be for your glory and for your honor so that we can have the homes that you intended our homes and our families to be. So we can set the example for our children of how to be men and women of God. And how to understand their roles and their place. And how we can be the people, Father, and exist in the relationships that you created for your glory and honor. And that's our desire. In your name we pray. Amen.